The Hoop Collective is brought to you by Goodyear, helping you discover the road ahead. Goodyear, more driven. The Daily Wager podcast gives you all the information you need on tonight's games. Listen every weekday afternoon for the latest info on the biggest games and plays. That's Daily Wager. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Fight fans, if you want the best UFC experience, you need ESPN+. Plus. With every pay-per-view event, live fight nights, exclusive originals, and an extensive archive, ESPN Plus delivers. Sign up now at ESPNplus.com. Hello and welcome to the Hoop Collective podcast. We talk about the NBA, which we're doing on Thursday afternoon slash evening. Joining me from Dallas, Texas, pride of North Texas, University of North Texas, North Texas University. University of North Texas. UNT is Ben McMahon. Howdy, partners. Joining us from Boston, Massachusetts, pride of St. Bonaventure University. Uh, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, <laughs> I, I think a lot of people disagree with that. Go on. Tim Bontemps. Hello, guys. Um, I got to say, guys, this is my 18th year covering the NBA. Uh, not sure. My, my memory is getting worse as I age. I will acknowledge that. Not sure I've seen the kind of smoke that J.J. Redick fired at David Griffin, the GM of the Pelicans, on his podcast this week, Old Man in the Three, which is a terrifically named podcast uh, for a number of reasons. Um, I'm going to read, you know, I don't know how many people have heard exactly what he said. I'll read it here in a minute. Um, uh, McMahon, I know you talked to uh, J.J. today, his first uh, press conference uh, since he joined the Mavericks, I believe. I mean, talk to him in the sense of I was on a Zoom call. Well, we, yeah. Fair. I apologize. I didn't clarify. Nobody's talking to any NBA players in person these days, except if you're the coach. Um, did he talk? I didn't see. Did he talk about it today? Did he follow up on it at all? Not, not really. Not really. He was asked about kind of why he felt it was important to. Uh, you know, do what he did and say what he said on his podcast. And he kind of talked about, he knew he was going to be asked about it. Um, you know, I asked him a question. I asked him basically like, what have you been doing? You know, what's, you know, how long is it going to take you to ramp up? Blah, 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 that, that sort of thing. And I, I wanted to ask him a second question, but you know, you can only get one question on a Zoom I, call these days. I know days. how it goes. And uh, what, I wa- what I wanted to ask was, you know, basically, you know, did he – like, did he have to kind of, you know, what was the process to get him ready to accept joining the Mavericks? I mean, Lou Williams was was open about acknowledging that, hey, he considered retiring when he got traded from the Clippers. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, I just, yeah, I mean, Redick is, he's, he's recovering from this heel injury, but uh, the fact that he's been doing that on his own, it was kind of uncertain until today when he was actually going to join the Mavericks on a full-time basis, and that is actually going to be, you know, he, he was with him today in New York, and he's going to continue on the road trip and come back with him. Um, but I, I am curious, like, you know, was he considering sitting out the rest of the season? But, you know, on, on these Zoom calls, the uh, the art of the follow-up is has been lost. <laughs> That's right. All right. Well, let me just read – what he uh, what he said exactly, because I just want to sort of get that out there so everybody's on the same page here. And I may add in a couple of little things here just to clarify who he might be talking about, just so you're cl- we're clear it's not 100% um, end-to-end. Uh, he said, I talked to Griff. That's David Griffin, team president. I talked to Trajan. That's Trajan Langdon, Pelican's general manager. Fellow Griff- Dookie. Yes, that's correct. And the guy, basically, from what I understand, he was the guy who recruited – um, JJ to New Orleans, which at the time was a surprise. It was a surprise to me on a two-year Bontemps. What was it like? Two-year, twenty-eight million dollar deal, twenty-seven million. Two for twenty-six, I believe, was the deal. Twenty-six I, and change. Yeah, I was surprised when he signed with the Pelicans last year. I don't know if anybody else was, but uh, I think Trajan Langdon played a big role in that. So the point I'm trying to make here is it was a relationship that right. kind of led him uh, to sign in New Orleans. Um, and the background here is. After uh, Drew Holiday was traded, um, David, uh, uh, back in November, um, uh, JJ asked David Griffin to be traded. Griff, this is back to the quote. Griff basically says to me, come down for a month. If you still want to be traded, I give you my word. I'll get you to a situation that you like. 
We had four subsequent conversations. Again, my agent talked to them, but I'm talking to Griff directly. Griff and I had a personal relationship. Obviously, he did not honor his word. I don't think you're going to get honesty from that front office, just objectively speaking. That's not an opinion. I just don't think you're going to get that. I don't think what happened with me is necessarily an isolated incident either. But I do think across the league, front offices, they act in their best interest. I get that. I understand that. Truthfully, and it's hard for me to admit to this, I think I was a little naive in thinking that because I was in year 15 and I had at least attempted to do the right thing throughout my career and I honored my end of the bargain. Uh, But in terms of this front office, yeah, it's not something where I would suspect certainly the agents that worked on this with me to ever trust that front office again. There was more, but that's the gist of it. From my understanding, the reason that David Griffin really wanted him to stay there is because with Stan Van Gundy, who J.J. had um, experience with uh, Mm -hmm. in Orlando earlier in his career, he really wanted to help J.J. to be there as the veteran to help Stan and to help the players adjust. And that was why he said stay, from what I understand, that was why he said please stay a month. At the, earlier in the season, the Pelicans did try to trade him, and it became public that J.J. wanted to be traded to the Northeast, the Knicks, the Nets, the Celtics, or the 76ers. So he obviously has played the 76ers in the past. Um, and they couldn't do a deal. Um, Bontemps, I think we talked about it at the time. I'm, I'm not sure where Boston was on it, but Boston wasn't in- he never made any. He never made any sense for them. Okay. So they never were able to get to a deal there, and so they sort of tabled it. Uh, there was a couple of times I heard during the during the season that JJ was going to be shut down and just held out until he had a buyout. But when the Pelicans started playing Zion Williamson more as lead guard, I mean, I don't know if you want to call him their point guard, but he's running the offense. They found that the JJ worked pretty well with Zion out there, especially in pick and roll. And all of a sudden, his um, time within his time on the court and his role in the offense kind of changed a little bit. And it was like, wait a minute, maybe we shouldn't trade him. He's kind of valuable. Uh, then he got hurt and it was like, okay, we're going to trade him. And one of the things that JJ was mad about was that not only did they not trade him to the Northeast, but they didn't even come to him and say, Hey, uh, the Mavericks are calling and we, there's a good chance to send you to Dallas. Okay. Uh, McMahon, how do you see this and what's the fallout? Uh, well, both, look, both ways. I, I understand Reddick's perspective, and if he was just straight up lied to, that's obviously a terrible look for the Pelicans' front office, and you know the potential uh, consequences from that is that some you know that kind of reputation is certainly not advantageous when you're out recruiting free agents, especially uh, as a small market team. Uh, so I get all that. You know, at the same time. Um, he's being paid $13 million and change this year to play basketball. You know, if you didn't want to, uh, you know, have a, a two year commitment either to the Pelicans or to wherever the Pelicans decided to trade you, then you shouldn't have signed a two year contract. Now, what I don't know, you know, when just, you know, looking at some of the other buyout guys, for example, the two guys who went to Brooklyn. Uh, Blake Griffin paid a steep price for the ability to pick his own team. He left 13 plus million on the table. LaMarcus Aldridge paid a steep price. He he left, a, what was it, about 6 million uh, on the table. I, I We don't know, I don't know, if J.J. Redick was was willing to leave a, a large chunk of his salary. Um, you know, that that would have, you know, kind of changes the conversation. But, you know, again, I... I'm all for player empowerment, but part of player empowerment is if you want the ability to dictate where you go, you know, you got to take shorter term deals in, in some cases, especially if you're a, you've been a very good player, but we're not talking about like some kind of perennial MVP candidate or something here. And, you know, you want to be traded to X, Y, or Z. Well, those trades are tough to, to, to put together because, Teams aren't necessarily willing to give up value for you. And then, you know, if it gets down to it for that front office, did they get a whole lot for them? No. Essentially, they got a second second round pick. pick. But do we want to get some sort of asset or just, you know, cut bait? And again, if you're straight up as a front office, then I think that's a fine way of doing business. If you are just blowing smoke up a guy's arse, all season long, well, he's got a right to feel some sort of way about it. Yeah, I mean, I think 
I think the situation comes down to a couple things. I mean, obviously, as JJ said himself, he has been around the business a long time. He gets how things go. But I mean, we're talking about a guy who is trying to deal with stuff in the middle of a pandemic and his family is halfway across the country, which is, I think, a notable part of this. It's not a normal season. Um, And I think that plays into this. And look, I think clearly if the Pelicans had never said to him, hey, listen, we'll take care of you on this. I think this is a different conversation. Mm -hmm. But the fact that, you know, it would it would be something for JJ to say all this without it being true. I mean, I tend to take him at his word that this is generally how it went. And while I understand that they got a second-round pick for him, they also took on Wes Wundu, who's got money guaranteed for next year and stinks. And they're going to have to, they're going to have to really do. You know, Bobby Marks has laid it out. They're going to have to really do a pretty elaborate dance to avoid going into the luxury tax after making this trade, which is kind of insane given where the team is. Um, you know, they can maybe space it out with signing a guy to a ten-day, then letting him go, then signing him again to a ten-day. But like they're they're with they're playing with thirteen guys. They've now got a couple guys hurt. They can't fill out their roster. Um, you know, to like to take on James Johnson, Wes Abundo, and to get a middling or worse second round pick, it does not really seem worth it. Where they could have just especially since they get all kinds of picks. Yeah, they've got a bunch of I'll picks. T- I'll tell you what, I haven't talked to Griff, but my guess is that price no longer seems worthwhile considering he just got no. Blamed. And that's my yeah. right, and that's that's my thing. Like for at the end of the day, we're talking about a, we're talking about kind of a minute price here for a guy that has a lot of uh, cachet in the league, has a lot of cachet with that organization, obviously has a long relationship with Stan. And, you know, I I think in that kind of situation, it would have, I think, made more sense to play ball with the guy. I'm sure he would have took a buyout for at minimum what he was going to get paid by somebody else, which would have cleared a little space for them to go out and do some other things with the roster. They want to play these younger players, Mikhail Alexander-Walker and Kira Lewis Jr., um, so ultimately I, I think to your point, Tim, it's not a great look for the Pelicans. And while yes, the guy's under contract and he has to go where he goes, you know, the fact that they didn't even give him a heads up before he was going to get traded or that he was getting close. I mean, the whole thing just does not look great from the way that the Pelicans handle it. Ultimately, is that big of a deal? Probably not, but it is an interesting look into how these relationships go and how the business of basketball works. And it's, you know, as as you guys laid out, it's not the kind of thing you see every day to get that clear of a picture of how this all goes. All right. So let me say a couple other things. I want to read this part of the quote again, because I think it could be important. In terms of this front office, it's not something where I would expect, certainly the agents that I worked with on this with me to ever trust that front office again. Now, he is not speaking for his agents. His agents are with CAA, Steve Human, and Aaron Mintz. Aaron Mintz is one of the most powerful agents out there. Steve Human, fair to say, strong reputation. He was a good guy, right? Fair I to believe say? There, and I believe another guy on the, the ah, is also represented. Now we have the point. <laughs> so CAA also represents Zion Williamson. Now, it's a different lead agent, Austin Brown. Uh, and I don't want to speak for Austin Brown, Steve Human, or Aaron Mintz, but I will say that in general, CAA guys work very closely with each other. Am I correct in saying that, Bon Temps and McMahon? In general, that is correct. General. Okay, and so obviously, JJ, who is very savvy, knows exactly what he's saying there. Um, now there's a couple of different layers of this, there are certainly players on the Pelicans who. And, you know, the interesting thing about this is when, is when David Griffin was the general manager of the Cavs and I was seeing him or, or talking to him weekly, if not every few days, you know, one of the things that distinguished him as in that general manager is he had a, a policy that he would never say any player was not going to be traded. Like you come up with him and say, hey, would you trade LeBron James? Uh, I would never say any player doesn't would never be traded. Uh, and, you know, he, he, you know, it was an interesting policy to have because it sort of, um, you know, was, could be unsettling to, for players to hear that because periodically there would be uh, trade rumors. Um, and also he made a lot of trades as general manager of the Cavs. I mean, they routinely uh, would trade, you know, a chunk of the roster at the trade deadline every year when LeBron elected which players he wanted to play with and not. Um, 
you know, but that was his sort of his ML was being open and, and sort of straight with those guys. Mm-hmm. Um, um, so that's, that's interesting um, to point out if there's any Zion issues, you know, Zion is so young and, you know, I, I, I don't know him, you know, because of the pandemic, he's really not been a guy that you can, you know, get to talk to at all. So I really don't know how he feels about it. Um, but it's worth noting. The other thing is he did talk a little bit about a buyout. He said, I look at a buyout situation as, oh, not, I'm sorry. I look at a buyout situation, not as, oh, I'm going to be bought out and, and go to the and go to the Brooklyn Nets. I just wanted to be able to, on an off day, go see my family within driving distance. In other words, he what he was saying, I wasn't planning on going to the Nets. I just wanted to be close enough that I could see my family who lives in Brooklyn. Um, I will say this, and I don't know um, how this trade went down, uh, but the Mavericks do have a reputation uh, on deadline day of coming in very late with trade offers. Um, it's a strategy. I think, I don't know, but I think it's a strategy of let's go try to pick something up cheap. Yeah. Um, and you know, not every team works that way. I mean, typically trades that go down on deadline day don't get negotiated on deadline day, but it obviously does happen. Um, and, um, at least, at least initially. And so it's possible this came up very late and they didn't give, um, Redick, they, they really giving Redick a heads up might not have been much of an option. You know, the other thing is the reason Reddick would want it a heads up is so that he could try to kill it. You know, right. he, he wanted to be let known at, you know, 9 a.m. He's going to get traded at two so he could spend those five hours with CAA trying to shut the trade down. I mean, so let's just just in fairness, you know, point that out, McMahon. Well, and it, look, it's a no risk move for the Mavericks. They gave up um, getting off a wound, even though it's just a minimum. Getting off his contract next year is a plus, as Bon Timps noted. Uh, James Johnson was a fringe rotation guy on an expiring contract. Um, so they, you know, they, they moved two guys who, let's be honest, if those guys were seeing minutes in the playoffs, it was a problem anyway for a dude who theoretically could help. Now we'll see. I mean, Reddick, it's not like Reddick was lighting it up in New Orleans this year. You know, he's still coming back off the heel injury. But look, for a team that doesn't have a lot of playoff experience, 110 plus games or 110 games of playoff experience for a team that, you know, shooting has been a problem this year. I mean, one of the best shooters that uh, that has played the game. Um, so he might be able to help him. And you know what? If he doesn't help him, they moved two guys who they didn't value at all and gave up the 50-whatever pick. So, and then, you know, they knew, okay, well, we're probably going to have to talk him into to getting on board. And, you know, that took a what – what was that? What was trade deadline a week ago? It took a week. Well, let's just see if there's any lingering fallout on this. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes, catch the clutch hitch, strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems with nothing on your roof. So who's ever up there, whether it's the roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, you name it, they won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, root, root with nothing on your roof. Yes, stream your team. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. The NFL schedule drops this week, and you can be there to catch all the action live and in person with Vivid Seats. Experience every touchdown, every tackle, every eye-popping play of your favorite team. And to kick it off, Vivid Seats, the official ticketing partner of ESPN, is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with code HOOP. That's code HOOP. Download the app or visit VividSeats.com today. Vivid Seats, experience it live. So this sort of brings up a bigger thing about buyouts. Uh, JJ wanted to buy out so he could go where he wanted. The Pelicans had to make a business move. That's the NBA. But Bontemps, because the big name buyout guys in this in this market this year, Blake Griffin, Lamarcus Aldridge going to Brooklyn, Andre Drummond going to the Lakers, there has been some complaining about the buyout system in quotes because the buyout system isn't something that sort of just developed over time. Um, Adrian Wojnarowski wrote a story about this today, about some uh, front offices, I assume small market front offices, uh, starting to grumble and agitate for change. Um, I'm not sure how this can be adjudicated, but do you think that this is just a result of because the big name, the big names went to the big markets this year? Or do you think this is something that actually needs to be addressed? 
I mean, it's definitely a conversation because LaMarcus Aldridge and Blake Griffin and Andre Drummond signed with the Nets and the Lakers. Now, the fact that Blake Griffin and Andre Drummond uh, have been terrible this season has seemingly been forgotten by most of the people who are going insane about this. <laughs> as Aldridge is wasn't that, much better. No, I said they both have been terrible. Yeah. A, as is the fact that... Um, by the way, Reddick's been all, Reddick's having like the worst year since he was a rookie, too. Right. Right. You know? right. I mean, all these... And Andre Drummond is a, a you know whatever player. I mean, some people have claimed he's part of the new big three in LA. I would disagree with that. But, <laughs> well, he's hurt. Um, so that, he fits right in. He, he does fit in. They, they are all hurt. Uh, look, I, I certainly think that the fact that all-star names have gone to join a team with three superstars on it in New York City has led to the, you know, the cries that uh, the league is, is being slanted one direction. As our colleague Bobby Marks has pointed out repeatedly this week, uh, the Milwaukee Bucks have signed more buyout players than any team in the league the past few years. So that would seem to refute a bit the idea that these guys only go to big market teams. And, you know, look, and tied for second, the Cleveland Cavaliers. That's right. And, 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 and buyout guys go to chase rings and, and location can be a perk, but they're going to chase rings. Well, and, and they also go they also go to chase playing time and money. Mm-hmm. You know, we saw Joe Johnson go to Miami over Cleveland because he could play there. We saw Wes Matthews go to the Indiana Pacers because they could pay him a little more and he could start there. Um, we've seen a lot of guys choose to prioritize a chance to showcase themselves for a new deal as opposed to, you know, barely right. playing on a title team. But ultimately this talk about the buyout market becomes a thing every year. And every year we have to r- remind people that generally these players all stink and they don't really do anything. There's the odd exception <laughs> to that. Markeith Morris had a nice year for the Lakers last year in the bubble. Um, you saw Ursan uh, Sova and Marco Bellinelli have a nice year, nice finish to the season with the Philadelphia 76ers a few years ago. But you can remember these names of guys that are good right away because most of them are terrible and make no difference at all. So this ultimately ends up just being all this noise about something that is really just a, a fringe thing and, and doesn't end up meaning much. Of well, anything. Woj had the numbers from the league. So over the last 15 years, and I don't know how they determined to buy out because some guys get released and I don't know, but these just, right. just the, over the last 15 years, there are 39 buyout players who average two games and 10 minutes per playoff round. So, you know, that's the, 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 the class, so to speak, of the guys who contributed in the playoffs. 20 were signed into top 15 markets, 20 of the 39, and 19 into the rest. Out of right. the 13 of the, uh, out of the 13 of 39 players joining teams that advanced to the conference uh, finals, so in other words, um, 39 players advanced to the conference finals, uh, only three were signed to top 15 markets. So basically, this is their way of saying, you know, it hasn't been that big of a deal. I'm going to list some of the players, this is provided by Bobby Marks, that have signed in buyouts in the last six years. Steve Nov, this is Milwaukee. This is the guy, this is Milwaukee has signed five guys. These, these are the five. Steve Novak, Shabazz Muhammad, Pau Gasol, Marvin Williams, and Jeff Teague. Although Jeff Teague was kind of a wave. He was waived. Well, then, and they just added, uh, well, I guess you could say uh, Austin Rivers is in that same category. Okay. And right. of those guys, only Marvin Williams is an actual impact player. Right. Right. So then you look at a team like. Um, Help Cle- him get all the way to the second round. Cleveland. I'm just saying, he's a guy that he's a guy that actually had the capability of doing something still when he was signed. That's right. all. He was still a good player. Cleveland, Kendrick Perkins, uh, Larry Sanders, Andrew Bogut. Bogut played five minutes, broke his leg. Yeah, those guys uh, all did nothing. Amari Stoudemire, Michael Kidd-Gilchrist, Brendan Wright, Damari Carroll, Ty those guys Lawson, all did nothing. Uh, you know, Trevor Booker. Look, you, you look in the Rockets, I remember when they, they got Brandon Wright and Joe Johnson in the buyout market. Brandon Wright played one game and then got hurt again. It was the last game of his career. And Joe Johnson was out of the rotation in the playoffs. They won the buyout market, and it made yeah. absolutely zero impact. Well, here, here's the better question. We, we go through this nonsensical argument every year. What, if anything, should be done to change this setup? Well, and it's not as simple as saying, hey, if you, if you want the guys trade for them, because most of the time the, the contracts are, you know, you'd have to put together way too much salary. If the league feels like it's a problem, hey, you know, give these teams like a uh, – if you want to claim a guy – before he hits the buyout market, you know, maybe there's some sort of like, uh, I don't know, 
come up with a dollar figure. Okay, if, if that guy's so valuable, pay him whatever it is. Let, let's let's say it's five million bucks, and and watch how often most of these guys still get through. That that that's my point. I was on. I go on uh, with Spence Checkets in uh, in Salt Lake City on on the ESPN station out there every week, and he's all up in arms about this. And you know, oh, it's just, you know, it's unfair. To teams like the Jazz, blah blah blah. And I'm like, which which buyout guy do you want in the Jazz's rotation right now? I'll uh, maybe Blake, but like Blake versus George Niang, like no, cha- no, Blake is Blake would be a bad fit for them. Okay, so right, my point is the like, we, are we arguing about whether Blake could be the Jazz's ninth man? But this is so unfair; and it's going to swing the balance of power. Give me a break. It's buyout bitching is what it is, and, <laughs> and it makes no little to no impact on an annual basis. We mentioned Markeith Morris before that, the last guy who actually the last buyout guy who actually helped the title team, and I've mentioned this before, is freaking Peja Stoyakovich in 2011. So once or twice a decade, maybe a guy might be the, a the 76ers three Bellinelli and Eliasova. It helped them out a lot, but they didn't like reach the it's the finals. The moments where it helps vastly are outweighed by the moments where people freak out about washed up players changing teams and they don't do anything because they're washed up players. But and and the, you know what? If I'm if I I bet you if you get Daryl Morey and have him be like, hey, what do you think of the Nets signing the Marcus Aldridge? I bet you he's like, I love it. Please let him take uh, Claxton's minutes. Right. Yep. You know, like they might have just screwed up their roster. Claxton, well, Lamarcus had Lamarcus had suitors too. Lamarcus had suitors like um, like Andre Drummond did. I mean, Andre Drummond. I mean, not that Marcus Saul is great, but late in the playoffs, Marcus Saul for his defensive three point shooting is probably going to be more useful than Andre Drummond. I would guess, even at this stage of his career, and Andre Drummond has been guaranteed a starting job by them. That's how they got him to come there, and. Given that Lamarcus Aldridge had suitors, I wouldn't be surprised if there was some similar guarantee in terms of playing time for him with Brooklyn. And if that's the case, it will be interesting to see how that shakes out. But really, I mean, look, for all the for all this talk that we've had about this, the only thing that I think is a potential issue with the buyout market is the chilling effect it can have on guys being traded. Now, some of that is muted by guys like Drummond and Lamarcus and Blake having enormous contracts that are not going to be traded anyway. But you know, if there's a guy making five or six million dollars, like a Wayne Ellington type, right? You might not want to give Detroit anything for him because you could go sign some guy on the buyout market and then not have to go up a second round pick to trade for somebody. So if you want to change the buyout rules, I mean, to me, I would be fine making the deadline for guys who have to change teams being eligible for the playoffs being the same as the trade deadline. And then you don't have this silly season buyout market after the trade deadline and teams have to decide up to the trade deadline what they're going to do. Um, I'd be fine with that. And I'd be fine if you wanted to do some kind of second-round compensation thing if you keep it the same, where the Nets would have to give a second-round pick to the guy's old team to sign the Mark Saw or thing. to sign Blake Griffin or whatever. Yeah, that's, these are interesting ideas, but the reality is that the union is not going to restrict player movement. <laughs> the union, you know, they want their guys to have the freedom, especially if they're not happy in their situations, to be able to move. Well, that's why I think the actual change to this is to just change it to be even with the trade deadline. And when the trade deadline's over, if you're on an NBA roster, you're not eligible to play in the playoffs. It seems, you know, a few years ago, they came up with the rule because teams started doing, they started trading players. The players would get bought out from the place they got traded to. And then go back. And come back. Yeah. Gary Payton that's did right. that. Um, who were the other well, I remember they, the, uh, Judas the Mavs, did that with Cleveland. I, I think it was the – I believe it was the Jason Kidd trade. They had to redo it because Stag blurted out to a reporter, see you in 30 days, and then they, <laughs> they vetoed that trade because of that. Yes. Yes. What Was the Jason Kidd trade also the trade where they called uh, Keith Van Horn off Well, that was part of why they had to redo it, I think. Fly fishing. Keith and- Van Horn in it after that. I think. Yeah, he didn't, put, he didn't – I think that was a trade. It was the same trade. It was but yeah, Van Horn didn't. He, I don't think he even showed up for a physical. He didn't have to put on. A I pair think. Of no, I think socks. they made him show up. Okay. Didn't okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, just I'm foggy, just so but all that know, funny stuff. B- back in the day, like uh, p- players who who had like sort of retired, but not like officially retired, teams still had their rights. So like midway through the season, if a team needed to 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 get more ammunition to um to 
to to make a trade. They could just sign a guy who was already retired as long as they had his rights. So Van Horn had been out of the league for over at least a year. Maybe it was two years. Yeah. And he was fly fishing in, in Utah and they and the, the Mavericks still had his rights and they needed some more money to be put in the deal. So they called him up and you know, he got like a partially guaranteed contract or whatever, but he made like several million dollars just to like show up and sit on the bench for a few weeks. Um, yeah. Uh, well, so so they've they've regulated that out. So there's it's not like they're it's not like they're against regulating some of this stuff. No, and that and that's why I think the that's why I think the regulation should be when the trade deadline passes. If you're on a team, you're on a team, and you can't go get your contract bought out and then go sign with somebody else. Now you're still going to have guys like Blake and Drummond and Lamarcus who before the deadline would get bought out and would be able to go change teams then, but it would that would prevent these mid-tier players, you know, guys like Bell and Ellie and Ilya Sova and Wayne Ellington, guys with like these five, six, seven million dollar contracts. If you're a rebuilding team, if if you have the ability to trade those guys and get something for them, that would be a good way to be able to mitigate some of the the complaints that some of these small market teams have, right? That well, these big market teams could just wait and they don't have to give us anything. So th- I think that would be the change to make. Okay, but also if we're going to talk about all these small markets, well, hey, buyout season worked great for the Spurs. They were able to save a big chunk of change on the Marcus's uh, deal because yep. he he left money on the table, and they claimed Gorgie Jing. I mean, Gorgie Jing, who's better he, than Lamarcus Aldridge? Yeah, right. And so uh, buyout season worked great for the Pistons because they basically held, you know, they they used the uh, threat of okay, Blake. Um, you can rot for a year and a half. We'll have to pay you all that money, or you can buy your way out. I mean, the, the buyout was Blake buying his way out of of Detroit to leave $13 million on the table next year so he could go play basketball. Uh, you know, uh, Andre Drummond, he didn't leave. You know, he did the typical thing where you leave the minimum and then go make it up. But still, look, his choice was either, you know, rot or take a buyout and go sign somewhere else. And so, you know, hey, the small markets are, are, are benefiting from being able to get discounts on these expensive guys who they're not going to play anyway. Those are the teams choosing. They're not going to play those guys. All right. We'll see what develops. But um, uh, that's a lot of – I think there's a lot of sound and fury signifying nothing about the buyouts. Although I will say this. Andre, you know, you, you, your point about Blake Griffin and Marcus Aldridge is right. Andre Drummond isn't washed up. Andre Drummond's in, still, you know, quote-unquote in his prime. The question is whether his set of talents actually right. help the Lakers long-term. I think it helps the Lakers short-term because they need some guys – some some scoring and, you know – Every team needs rebounding. Um, but I'm not even 100% sure if that's true, but at least you can make a better argument of that than he's going to actually help him in the playoffs. But, but by the way, Blake Griffin's not washed up. He's just a shell of the all-star that he used to be. Blake Griffin, as the Nets, whatever he is, eighth, ninth man, has been good, and, and he made a great point. He heard, you know, as he said, basically, he heard for the last two years how terrible he was, and now it's so unfair that he signed with Brooklyn. I I thought he was terrible. Well, he's terrible at thirty-five million a year. He, you know, if even you're paying a guy thirty, what I don't remember what he was at thirty-five, thirty-eight million a year. Yeah, yeah, max that, deal. He, you know, same with Drummond at twenty-eight million dollars a year. Nobody wants to trade for him. If he's going to sign for the minimum, half the league would like to have him. So some of that is well. Just and again, I, I am curious, just hypothetically, if the NBA gave teams called a five million dollar midseason exception. How many how many teams would have uh, would have used that to claim Blake? Well, that's the thing. the 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 Nets actually they have a five million dollar uh, injury, a disabled player exception that um, uh, that they got because Spencer Dinwiddie got hurt. Mm-hmm. Um, so they actually could have signed either Aldridge or Blake, who gave up a collective twenty million to all or part of that for the rest of the year, but they didn't. They gave them the minimum. They gave each of them the minimum. So they didn't even like outbid, even though Joe Sy is worth right. like billions of dollars, their owner. They didn't even like outbid the Jazz or anything like that. They gave them the minimum. So which, which um, you know, Woj also points out, you know, they, they, they didn't just run for money. It was a, it was a, a personal decision by the players. So, um, all right. So McMahon, you had another story this week um, about a, uh, a press conference that the general manager of the Rockets, Raphael Stone, 
gave his first press conference since making the Victor Oladipo trade. And um, this one wasn't quite as for the books as J.J. Redick um, and his comments, but I suspect some of the stuff that Stone said could be referred to for a while going forward. Will you brief us as to how that presser actually went down? Well, it could be referred to until uh, 2030 when we can judge the <laughs> uh, the return on the Harden trade. And look, the, a, f- a few things. Okay, number one, why they trade Victor Oladipo for um, you know three pairs of, of socks and um, you know two deflated basketballs because they knew he was leaving, and because they you know getting him gone and, and playing Kevin Porter Jr. in those minutes was the, was the better way to go right now anyway. Um, and you know what, Olenek, whatever. Like he's not. Uh, there's a chance Olenek might be back in Houston next year. We'll see how that works out. But so you know, number one, he had to address that and basically acknowledge like it wasn't a fit with Old Depot. He didn't say we, he was he was leaving anyway. But obviously, everybody knew that. And so you know, might as well move him and 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 play Porter in those minutes. Um, and then he he you know made a point that he didn't think that the Rockets needed to, as he said, have a wholesale tank strategy like some teams have in the past or might be doing right now. <clears throat> Oklahoma <laughs> City. <laughs> you know, which, Still winning more which, than the Rockets, though. I know. I know. And, and you know, his point, the Rockets have had so many injuries, blah, blah, blah. That's all true. Um, Oklahoma City, though, by the way, they are trying so hard to tank and just failing. They, they're starting a lineup. That's younger. I looked up Oregon State just because they were playing at the same time. I was watching OKC. They were younger than Oregon State starting five, and I'm guessing younger than most of these college starting fives. Um, and they're still winning games and screwing up their lottery odds. Uh, and then, you know, I did ask about the the Harden deal. Basically, hey, understanding was made primarily for the picks, but Oladipo's gone. You know, that was the one player really you got back. Uh, how do you feel about that now? For sure. 100% would make that trade again. Um, it says you can't really judge it until 2030. And then he brought back up that he didn't feel like they needed to be bad because, you know, basically of the draft capital that they have. And, you know, basically what he's saying without just flat out saying it is he's shorting Brooklyn and he thinks those Brooklyn picks on the back end have a chance to be really, really high in the lottery. Well, you know, he made two mistakes. I mean, nothing that he is saying in and of itself is like out of line for a general manager to say. But the problem is where he's contradicting himself. And that's where you get a little bit worrisome. So you can't because I also believe he said we're going to do a quick turn rebuild. Did he not say that? He basically said he thinks they can be competitive as they are rebuilding. Hey, we want to compete on a slightly quicker time frame. That was a mistake. Uh, we're, not going, we're not going to go down this path of intentionally trying to lose games for years on end. By the way, I'll also note, yeah, you shouldn't go down that path because OKC has, even after this year, they've still got one more swap rights protected, but still not very heavily. And then they've got you know, two more of your picks that are lightly protected. So, yeah, you don't want to tank and deliver a bunch of fifth overall picks to the Thunder. He shouldn't have said that they want they didn't want to – that they wanted to kind of turn it around more quickly because you can't say that and then not trade for Ben Simmons when you have the opportunity, not trade for Karis LeVert, not trade for Jared Allen because um, your argument for not doing those is to – build for 2027 or 2030 right not to build for 2022 23 24 well and i think with with lavert and allen in particular allen was kind of a positional fit although when yours in as rough a shape as the that's rockets nonsense. I don't, i'm that's can you nonsense shut your yapper and let me talk um uh, you know they, they basically didn't think those they thought those guys could you know that they, they didn't Those think guys they were are going to have money next year, McMahon. Let's just talk plainly. They right, were going yeah, to have to pay too. them. They didn't want to well, pay especially them. Allen, especially Allen, because he's he's no, due a contract. Especially Lavert. They traded Lavert for Victor Oladipo, who they just gave away. Like, <laughs> let's just let's just call it for what it is. They didn't want to pay Jared Allen, so they traded him for a late first round pick, which then turned into a swap with uh, 
the Bucks, and they turned Karis LeVert into Victor Oladipo, who they gave away. That's like, fair. Listen, I mean, you th- could, you can definitely look at it that way. That's they didn't feel like LeVert was a guy who could, you know, do anything more than maybe bump them towards mediocrity. So they didn't want to pay him. That's one hundred percent true. Um, I think though the criticism here, like who honestly, who gives a crap about Karis LeVert? That's not like. Whether you had Karis LeVert or not, that's not going. You know, no one's going to look back on this trade in five or six years and, and have that be the difference. This basically comes down to: we'll see if they're right about Short in Brooklyn, and even if they are, we'll see if they get a Ben Simmons caliber player out of that. That this comes down to: they didn't think Ben Simmons was good enough to build around, okay? Or Ben, and we don't know what the plus is on that package, but we'll see if they don't get. And an all NBA talent out of that bundle of Brooklyn picks, then it was a bad trade because Ben Simmons is an all NBA talent. Well, and the other thing is too, they could have got they if they even if they want to do this long term rebuild that isn't going to be a long term rebuild, whatever the explanation is, they would have gotten more for Jared Allen and Karis LeVert than they did in that trade. But they but they specifically targeted players and assets that wouldn't cost them money next year. So like that that is ultimately the truth here. That they they opted for a they opted for the picks over Ben Simmons, which that I think you can argue either way, depending on what you're trying to do. To me, the right. inexcusable part has been from the beginning not trading for Jared Allen and not trading for Karis LeVert. Because even if you have those two guys on your team, your team isn't going to be demonstrably better because they still have a bunch of terrible players. And on top of that, if they just said at the trade deadline, "Hey, Karis LeVert is available," I can promise you he would have gotten more than the pile of garbage that they got from the Miami Heat. <laughs> like he would have definitely been, is it, does, does anyone disagree with that? Would he have not been worth more at the trade deadline than what Oladipo was? They're going to be able to swap Brooklyn's pick from Miami's next year. That might be a uh, move up from, you know, 29 to 20. I mean, look, 22. who knows? Maybe that, maybe they'll get lucky with that swap and that will look different. But I, they just didn't, they, to me, they just dramatically minimized their return in that trade from the beginning by insisting on having guys that didn't have money pass this year on their team, you know, and because you can argue the Ben Simmons for the picks thing. I think you can argue either way. Right. On that. I think that's a legitimate argument to, to make. I don't think any of these arguments about Karis LeVert or Jared Allen or, you know, his fit with Christian Wood or, you know, we did, we thought Karis LeVert would help us win too many games. All that stuff is complete nonsense to me. I see. I don't, I don't, I'm not sure about Allen just because, is a team going to give up significant assets and give him a big contract? I, you know, I don't know. And, and we probably won't find out because, and look, good job by Cleveland of, of wiggling their way in there. And That's giving right. Up a, it was a great job by Cleveland. For, uh, you know, a, a late first round pick to get the guy. You know, if the Ma- Orlando Magic traded Dwight Howard in August of 2012, I think they made the playoffs one time since. Can you imagine if Rob Hennigan, who was their general manager, said, don't evaluate me on this trade until 2021? We can evaluate him now, baby. Well, they actually still had Nick Vucevic from that trade, who they just traded away. I was like, they kicked the ball down the field. Now you should ask in 2025 when those Bulls picks have well, already come Well, and look, man, that's the thing. Like, you know, people go back to the original Thunder rebuild and even what the Sixers did and say, hey, rebuilding through the draft, like blow it up, build through the draft. This is the way to go. And like, it can work, but that is not some guaranteed path to success, particularly after they've diminished these lottery odds. You look at Sacramento, you look at Minnesota, you look at, to your point, Orlando, which made the playoffs and made the finals and was a really good team and has gotten blown out of the first round twice uh, in nine years since oh, then. Look they at made the, it twice. I thought they only made it once. Okay, they made it twice. Yeah, they just, I mean, they're both forgettable. I mean, they got annihilated <laughs> two years in a row yeah, in the first Lincoln, round. you missed it. <laughs> right. And you look at Charlotte, right? Like, just go through all these teams that year after year pick. I mean, even look at the Bulls. The Bulls had the seventh pick three years in a row. Lowry Markin is now the fourth big for the Bulls. They traded Wendell Carter to get Vucevic, and Kobe White's been benched. So, like, that, that's their rebuild after Jimmy Butler. Right. So like that's their rebuild after Jimmy Butler. So like this, the idea that you should blow it up and go through, like, I'm, I'm not saying that build through the draft is impossible or, or any, anything close to that. 
But the idea that it's this, you know, surefire panacea to success, it is not. So well, and it's it, especially it's especially tough when you when you've just traded for Russell Westbrook a year ago and you still owe OKC right. a ton of draft compensation and they're well, I shouldn't say that. There uh, there will be some tight sphincters during the lottery. I can promise you that in Minnesota and Houston. Well, there will discussed. be some there will be some diamonds produced. As we've, discuss, as we've discussed with those two teams and now with Chicago with this top four pick, if Chicago doesn't make the playoffs and is somewhere around that ninth or tenth pick, which we've seen jump up basically every year since they change the lottery odds, you're going to have six franchises locked in on that lottery, and it could be truly game-changing stuff. I mean, like if Chicago goes from ninth to third or fourth or something and gets another young guy to go with Vucevic and Levine and the guys they have, like that's going to be a huge thing. Meanwhile, if Orlando gets two top eight or nine picks, that is a big jump start for them. What they're trying to do, right? You go down with these teams, it's all the same thing. So yeah, that lottery night is going to have, like we've talked about before, it's going to have so much drama. It's going to be fascinating to see how it goes. Uh, OKC is going to try so hard to tank, fail miserably, and still end up with the first and second pick in a loaded draft. Watch. <laughs> or first and fifth. I'm sorry. It can't be first and second. First yeah. and fifth. Yeah. Have the Bulls, I know they've been out west. Have the Bulls won since they made the trade? No, no, but Levine, Levine was hurt last night. I know, and um, now he, I know, but even before well, they've that. got a brutal stretch. I mean, they made that trade, and I think have nine out of ten on the road, including a long West Coast trip. I mean, they could really, I mean, they could really be losing a ton of these games. But at the same time, the Raptors are losing to the Pistons and Thunder back to back games. The Celtics are getting blown out every night. I mean, these teams all suck in the East. So it's, <laughs> it's just, it's be, as as one executive in the East has joked to me. The best way to move up in the East standings is just be idle for a couple of nights and everybody's going to lose and you'll move up the standings. Like that's basically what we're looking at. Miami just lost six games in a row and they're in, they're, they're, they're in fifth and they're a game out of fourth. So, yeah, I mean, and, and they're, I think two games out of 11th or 10th. I mean, it's just, it's, it's wild. I the will say this about is Houston. There is like, you know, in the, in the laboratory, there is a lot of sense. What McMahon mentioned to the concept of you play squarely and let and get another team's draft and let them be bad and so you know let them tank for you there's a lot, yeah, there's a lot and of look success. short in brooklyn short in brooklyn i think there's some there's some sound logic there and hey the nets very well could win a title this season and or next season but do any of us think that trio's got long t- long-term staying power i mean just go well, on prob- the history probably of, not of probably star, not, of star yeah. pairings with all three of those guys They've got yeah, a two or three not. year window, and yeah. things get really wild. No, and that's um, why he's way. saying, "Judge me in, in 2030. That's, I mean, it's, it's why he's not wrong. Like in and of itself, saying that is not wrong, but it's hard to say that and also say we're doing a quick turn. That's what <laughs> yeah, my point especially, is. especially when you might give up the fifth overall pick. And this if year. you're, uh, right. by the way, on yeah. on uh, on Chicago, real quick, uh, their big move. A lot of a uh, lot of noise in the stat, and certainly not a perfect stat, but. Do you know who has the worst plus-minus in the NBA this season? If only starting your fitness journey was as easy as starting this podcast. The truth is, all the lift big, get big, and beach body ready in three weeks pressure stops most of us from even starting. And starting is what matters most. It's everything. Wherever you're beginning and wherever you want to be, Peloton encourages you to just start. With thousands of classes to get you moving and doing what you can, even if that's just a 10-minute low-impact class, they have those too. And when you're ready, take it up a gear with a 30-minute live DJ ride. Start with Peloton and find instructors that will keep you motivated to stay on your fitness journey. Learn the basics and build from there. Remember, doing something is everything. Get started with a Peloton bike or Bike Plus rental at onepeloton.com slash bike slash rentals. Terms apply. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high-quality supplies and solutions for every industry as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call or click ranger.com or just stop by. This trivia question that McMahon is about to deliver is brought to you by CarMax. Don't just buy a car. Love your car with the new CarMax. Love your car guarantee. Go ahead, McMahon. Who has the worst raw plus minus in the NBA this season? Raw 
overall plus minus. Rudy Gobert has the best. This gentleman has the worst. And it is not a rookie, although there are rookies. It should be. He's giving you of the bottom five. It's got to be a guy who plays a lot of minutes. It's It's a guy who plays a lot of minutes. It should be a pretty easy answer. He plays for the Bulls. Yes, he just talked about the trade the Bulls made. Who do you think it is? Uh, Kobe White. Nope. The trade the Bulls made, Brian. Wendell Carter Jr. Nope. (laughs) He plays for the Bulls now. The trade trade the Bulls made, Brian. Golly. One, two, three strikes are out. They (laughs) traded for Nick Vucevic. He is the answer. Oh, right, right, right. Minus 311 he's, on the he's season. He's been a bull for 15 minutes. I'm sorry. I was thinking about bulls who were bulls all year. Well, I, You're right. You're my point is, they they and and look, we'll see. But McMahon they go, bringing stats to back up his argument that he was not a fan of this trade. I respect it. They, they, they go all in to get this franchise-changing guy who, again, it's it's it has a lot to do with the team he's been on, who he's been playing for, blah, blah, blah. But he has the worst raw plus minus in the NBA, and they haven't won since they made the trade. Yeah, well, and look, even more than that, McMahon, I mean, as you laid out last week when we talked about it, right, they traded for a guy who has been the centerpiece of the Magic who have been cannon fodder the last years in the first round, and that that's the guy that they're going to pair with Zach Levine, who I think has the worst record of any player in the league uh, during his career. So <laughs> if these are the two guys that you're building around, I mean, it, it, it you know, it, it's fair to say that there's a certain ceiling on what you're probably going to do. It's quite an aggressive move to achieve mediocrity. That pick was top four protected, right? That the Bulls sent to Orlando. Yeah, top four, and if it gets if it gets conveyed, it's top three, and it's the same with the one in two years. So I will say the difference between a team like the Bulls and even a team like Houston. Uh, well, Houston's in an opposite, going in the opposite direction. But the reason why I'm I'm more okay with this than I would be for a lot of teams, McMahon, is that if you're the Bulls and you have a good team, you should be able to get players to go there, right? Like yeah. if you're if you're a team like I don't know. So we talked about Oklahoma City a bunch. If Oklahoma City didn't have all these picks, or if you were Charlotte and you traded two first-round picks for Nick Vucevic, like, then it's like, okay, like if we have Nick Vucevic, we have a good team, but we can't really get anybody else to join up, right? But if you're winning with the Bulls, you would have to think that the Bulls would be able to attract more players to go play there. So I, I, I'm more okay with them going in like this to try to become a mid-tier playoff team than I would be for a team in a different market. But it still is a it's there's a reason all our eyebrows went up when the trade was made. It was a very aggressive move. Well, as we said last week, the Bulls, there's there's a value in the Chicago Bulls organization to making the playoffs and, you know, having your fans leave happy. You know, you have 41 home games and you win 28 of them, 30 of them. Yep. There's, you know, that's a good business plan if, if you're the Chicago Bulls. That means a lot of green is coming your way. And so this move doesn't necessarily prevent, I mean, that brings you closer to that. I realize it doesn't mean that you're going to beat the nets in a series, but. Right. Well, and the interesting thing, the most interesting thing about that trade to me is that they played Larry marketing with Nick Vucevic one game. And then the second game, he was their fourth big. Now he started last night against the Suns because the Levine was hurt and they had kind of a funky lineup. But if he's their fourth big and playing behind Daniel Tice and Thad young, I does not seem like a guy who's going to be re-signing with the bulls next year as restricted free agent. So that's something to monitor going into the summer to see if, you know, kind of what happens with him. Cause that's going to be, you know, he like Lonzo ball, like some of these other restricted free agents this summer, John Collins, it's going to be interesting to see what happens with, you know, several of these high profile guys who are all in, you know, kind of interesting situations with the different teams. The thunder uh, as, as of, you know, where this is before the game Thursday night, the thunder are 19 and 27. The Bulls are 20 and 27. <laughs> One team just traded two first round picks to upgrade to try to an all out battle to get the playoffs. One team is shutting That's guys 34 down. 34 picks. They have 34 picks <laughs> in the next seven years and are shutting down their best They're players. Shutting guys down because they got the same record. And in all seriousness, Mark Daniel, the, the coach of uh, the Thunder, I think deserves like legitimate coach of the year attention. Like he is, they're winning games with, to McMahon's point, like te- lineups that should not be winning games. You short of the Thunder win. They're 20 and 27. 
Yeah, they're actually a win ahead of. They're actually a win ahead of Chicago. Yeah. I got him. I got no, him backwards. I no, their 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 coach. Their coach should be fired. He is completely failing <laughs> to execute the obvious <laughs> strategy of the franchise. They're going to bench their coach. Oh, Mark Agano is going to have to leave. Uh, he has personal. <laughs> he may not return. Um, I mean, they 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 they're, they're shutting down Horford forever. Jim um, Boylan is now. Gilders Alexander is not getting evaluated for weeks with plantar fascia. It's, yeah. well, so and it, it was seems like, unlikely it was like, he's going to come back this season. You were like, you were sitting him with a shoulder, and then they kept alternating between his shoulder and I forgot what else. And then it's like, oh no, he's got plantar fasciitis. Yes. It's like, he showed up one day and his foot was bothering him. Yeah. <laughs> we're Listen, not Lou gonna, Dort, and we're Lou not going to check on your foot. Whatever anybody does, do not ask Shea about his foot. Anybody to ask Shea about his foot is fine. <laughs> <laughs> Lou, Lou Dora got off to a hot start the other night in Boston, then suddenly had a concussion. I don't well, know. I'm just saying. Well, he Listen. did get whacked in the head. All right, the All thing right. I will say, the thing I'll say for the Thunder, and I think you deserve a lot of credit for. I mean, look, we've obviously talked ad nauseum about all the picks they have, right? 34 picks in the next seven years. Got all these first round picks. They made all these trades. You know, Sam Presti's bringing guys and trading them back out, and bringing them in more guys to trade back out. But they have done a really good job. You know, Lou Dort last year as a two way guy. Gets into their rotation. Oh, He's yeah. a quality wing player. And now Moses Brown this year was a two-way guy who had been with other teams that comes in and has just signed a similar, you know, multi-year, you know, cheap contract for them and has played really well. And like they deserve credit beyond getting all these picks. They are turning guys into players um out of these two-way spots that and I think they deserve credit for that because we've seen other teams Absolutely. that have not done that. And not only to your, you know, as you said, they're not only developing them. But then they're locking them into ridiculously team-friendly long-term deals. Like, I forgot. It was whatever it was a few weeks ago. Oh, we're going to guarantee the last couple of years a lose contract. Well, wow, right. how generous. You're guaranteeing a guy <laughs> right. at the minimum who'd probably make, you know, eight figures a year if he was a free agent this summer. No question. Yeah, no so question. last year Lou Dort signed a four-year $5.4 million deal before going into the bubble. And it's going to be one of the probably, if he stays healthy, one of the best deals in the league. And so Moses Brown, who the other night had a 2020 game, 20 points, yep, 20 against rebounds. Against the Celtics. He signed a four-year, $6.8 million deal, where, again, years three and four are not guaranteed. So the Thunder are fully protected. So he did get a little bit more than Lou Dort did. Yeah, he got a little bit of a second this year. Second best Moses in NBA history already. Closing <laughs> <laughs> fast. Um, so the, the shrewd moves by the Thunder, but not shrewd enough to keep them in the uh, in the loss column. So uh, they are trying everything they can. Um, you know, when when the uh, when the Pelicans shut down Anthony Davis with the trade demand or threatened to shut him down, the league threatened to suspend him. They are out to uh, fine him for not playing him. But the Thunder aren't in any national television game. So uh, and I, you well, know, I guess I'll work complaining. <laughs> That's has, right. Have you guys heard people complaining to you about? kind of this Al Horford situation. I've heard a little yeah. bit of grumbling about the way this is uh well the way this is shook out. Well the issue about what undercuts that is that they keep winning they're tanking. Well yeah right. that's the that's the thing. It's like yes. okay they're tanking but they just beat your team. So right. what are you crying about? That's like right. why don't you take advantage and beat them when they're on the schedule <laughs> I then? No. I know but I'll tell you one thing if, if McMahon is right they very well could get picks one and five, but hell, even if they get picks three and five, again, if they, they, they can switch their, they can switch Miami's pick, which they also right, but the, 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 Rockets the Rockets are top, pick. the Rockets are top four though. Right. And so, so, that's so the best the, the Rockets can be is, is five. Yeah. The for, best, for the, the best OKC can be from Houston. But geez, five. Even if they end up with three and seven in this draft, it's still pretty freaking good. But three would have to be them. Three would have to be OKC, and 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 they're they're way behind. They're 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 tanking failures. Probably going to end up biting them. They're way behind. I will say this. That, However, that, let, me say, let me let me let me ask this though. Like, what if they end up with like picks six and nine? Okay, and then right. they call somebody in the top three and say, "Hey, how about you take picks six and nine, and we'll throw in two of our 17 firsts? They very well may end up doing that, but it's yeah. it's going to be it's going to be. I mean, look between like, we've talked about it a bunch between them. And between uh, the Warriors, you know, they could each have two of the top five picks in the draft and they could each have, you know, they could each have the seventh pick and that's it. Right. It's they're they're both. Right. They're both in a big swing or whatever. Spot. Right. They're both in a real they're both in a real big um, a real big swing spot. And especially for Oklahoma City, like they're, you know, for all the joking we're doing about their team. 
they're in a really interesting spot to me with Shea, uh, Shea Gilds Alexander, in that if they don't get one or two of these top five picks and they don't get, you know, one of these four or five studs at the top of this draft to start building some real talent with this team, you're going to start to get into a situation where they're not going to realistically be able to get on a timeline where they can win with Shea unless they start trading those picks for guys who are ready to win now, which certainly by everything they've done is not the direction they're going to go. They're going to try to build through the draft and be a long-term. Judge me in uh, 2030 when Shea's, you know, 29. Is that what you're saying? Well, it's just, I'm just curious to see what happens there. Like I, I think this draft, this draft lottery, because of the talent at the top and because of the stakes involved here, I think there's like, depending on how this goes, I, I just think a lot of things could shift around the league because you just have the potential for massive swings. Like Minnesota could have Cade Cunningham with Anthony Bennett and or Anthony Bennett, Anthony Edwards. That was a Freudian slip. Anthony Edwards <laughs> and Carl Anthony Towns, and you could have three, you know, dynamite young players with a with a coach and Chris Finch who's had a wait, wait, wait. You forgot there. about D'Angelo Russell. That's right, and D'Angelo Russell. How could I forget? Uh, he, I haven't seen him in a while. What, what about this? So what, I see what you're saying. What you're saying is is that. You know, Shea is going into year four. He's a contract extension eligible after this season, yeah. which, you know. So, like, what happens? Let's just say the Thunder end up with picks six and nine in this draft, which a lot of people think is great. Mm-hmm. What happens if, like, they offer Shea for the number two pick? Ooh. And you end up with, like, picks two, six, and well, nine. Here, here's, here's, a, here's a very fun fantasy trade, okay? If you're, um, if you're, if you're the Thunder... Do you call Golden State and say, we'll take James Wiseman and the Minnesota pick or mm. Shea Gildas Alexander? Oh. Well, that is a fun fantasy <laughs> trade. And you might and you might have two well, you will have two lottery picks almost certainly. So you'd have no, you'd we, have well, you have three lottery picks. Sure. Minnesota. Well, you would for sure. I'm saying even if the Minnesota pick doesn't convey, whatever wherever that pick ends up. Right. Right. James Wiseman, right. either, either now or unprotected next That's year. Which, which That's it sounds right. crazy that you would want to trade Shea, but you, you, but your point is, they're so far away from where they need to be. They're not even playing him. And I mean, I, I you know, you could have seven lottery picks and not get him the player as good as Shea, which is you know a, a real statement. Yeah, it's just it's but. just and like these are the situations, right? Same thing with the Wolves. If the Wolves get Kate Cunningham or Jalen Suggs to go with these guys, like yeah, then they could they could be a team that's maybe a playoff team next year. Right. If they lose that pick. All of a sudden, Carl Towns is sitting there with you know a team that's kind of stuck, and he's a year closer to free agency. And what happens with him? Right? You have Golden State that could have two, you know, two high lottery picks to go with their team. Maybe they could go get a star. Maybe they turn into stars. Whatever. Like it's just crazy the amount of swings back and forth. Yeah. At the top of this draft, you know, even the Bulls, like I said earlier, you add one of those top three picks to Levine and Markinen and Pat Williams, like that. That's a really that's a way more interesting team than if they. What about the- Give up the give up the tenth pick in the draft and you know lose another lottery pick. What about the Raptors? The accidentally awful Tampa for now Raptors. Yeah, right. If what they, about them? If, if, they if those up. ping pong balls bounce right and they get a top five, you know, just hypothetically, let's say the ping pong balls bounce really well for them, they end up with Evan Mobley. Sure. And so then they've got their big to go with the Van Vliet, Trent, Ananobi, uh, Siakam. You know, Any of those guys, man. Really Kate Cunningham would look damn. Quick. Cade Cunningham would look damn good next to Fred VanVleet too. Like that—that's the yep. thing. Like there's so many. Even, look, New Orleans is in there too, right? Like there's all these teams that are kind of floating around where they could get another big time piece, and like it could really shift the dynamics of things in a lot of directions. Like I'm—it's just that lottery night. I can't—I can't describe how interested I am to see how that plays out. Like I'm going to be hanging on every second of that. Just like a couple years ago when I was in Chicago for that Zion Williamson lottery. And when the Lakers jumped up from 11, I remember texting Brian being like, I cannot believe I was that they Oakland. jumped up from 11. I was yeah, in just like the Warriors-Rockets series. Because the moment they jumped up, you were like, all right, like now they've got a piece to go get Anthony Davis, right? In that, in that moment, it was yep. like, now they can get Anthony mm-hmm. Davis. And it was like everything shifted right then. And there's going to be moment. There could be multiple and moments like because that in this the lottery. Pelicans got the number one pick and got a new franchise player. They became more amenable to that's right. Them in the, that's in right. That and we're um, just going to have moments like that in this lottery. There could be which two is or four. why, which is why, after every Thunder victory, the Thunder guys are like, "Nice win, 
coach. Good job. <laughs> yeah, way to go. All right. Thank you for listening Back to, to the OKC Blue for you. <laughs> it's going to be like, uh, do you ever see the movie Major League where um, they were winning too much? They were only, they were, they were bad, but they weren't awful. And so the owner like knocked them down a propeller plane and then do a bus and, you know, turned <laughs> off the hot tubs. <laughs> no, this is your plane rolling in here. Speaking of that, um, we're glad that the Jazz made it out okay. Yes. Uh, Hit, hit, ran into a bird taking off. Yeah, what a scary situation. Jeez. And uh, Donovan Mitchell, like they didn't say why, but Donovan Mitchell, from apparently he's. Um, well, Clarkson said why. He, you know, he, he had a fear of flying and he was not going to get on a plane right after that. I feel you. Know, you so I mean, overcome that. Well, hearing Mike Conley talk, I think you were on that Zoom last night, McMahon. Hearing Mike Conley's yeah. comments about that, I mean, I was just, I mean, we've all flown a punch and like, you know, there's always a potential for some wacky thing like that to happen on a plane, but man, that was a scary sounded thing. Here and describe that. There's a there's a a pretty big time. I don't, don't want to out a pretty big time NBA agent type who I was on a plane with one time, and um, we just we boarded the plane, and they said there's a problem. We're getting off this plane just so they fix it. It, it was just one of those maintenance things. We ended up getting back on the same plane and flying on. And that guy was like, "Nope, I'm not taking this plane. Not take off." And the bird goes through the engine, and we limp, we limp back to the <laughs> right. field. Like just, just like, oh, there's, there's a, we have a leak in the uh, oil line. We just have to replace it. You know, no, <laughs> he's like that was enough for him. He was done. That's a guy who flies a lot. So, all right, thank you for listening to the Hoop Collective podcast. Thank you to McMahon. Thank you to Bontemps. Thank you to Tony for producing. Everybody have a great weekend and a good holiday. If you celebrate, we'll talk to you next week. Adios, amigos.